You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. If you haven't noticed this series, we've been in the second part of the Acts has been called Grafted. And that, that comes from this idea of bringing in a new branch into an existing tree. Into uh, when we were in Taiwan, all the trees along this walking path, uh, a gentleman had grafted these beautiful lotus flowers into these giant trees. And so you had this great, this great tree that was bringing shade all along this boardwalk. The boardwalk was covering just a sewer and it smelled awful, but it looked beautiful. And so we would walk on this, on this boardwalk every day and smell the sewer water go below us, but it was at least beautiful to see this beautiful flower growing off. And that he had grafted this in. And so this is kind of, we named this section of Acts as grafted because it's a new idea. It's a new idea in the book of Acts where they are grafting in new believers. It's no longer just now the Jews that are following God. It's no longer just even Gentiles that have converted to Judaism. But we've seen, we saw several weeks ago that Peter had this vision, this idea of the animals coming down. Remember Bacon Week? And this idea that we are to send the message out to the Gentiles. And he goes to a new area. And now we're going to see everything is going to change from chapter 13 on. The focus is going to completely shift, not just from Jews anymore, but to now the Gentile world, to the entire group that's going to be grafted in, to people like you and I that might not have the Jewish heritage of being a son of Abraham and of God's family, but to be part of the family of God by being grafted in, by being adopted into God's family. And it's a beautiful scene that we're about to see. So if you have your Bibles, flip it open to Acts 13, and I want you to kind of fully grasp this. This is huge because this is eternity changing. This isn't just a, a, you know, a neat trip and we're not just looking at the new missionary journey of Paul and we're going to be looking at lots of journeys and you, you see those pictures and uh, you can, when someone goes on a trip, hey, here's a picture of our trip to Mexico and, and you got the pictures of all this and here's the monkey that gave us a, a dollar while someone robbed us and, and you know, all this kind of stuff and uh, personal story, sorry. Um, and so we got all these things. Um, and you got these pictures. This isn't what it is. This isn't what the rest of the book of Acts is. This isn't just stories. This isn't just trip pictures and, and videos. This is life-changing, eternity-changing, world-changing moments. This is Saul, who will become Paul in this chapter, completely changing everything. Fully stepping into his own, stepping into what God created him to be, and changing the world. So, as I said, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts 13. You're going to see a shift from Peter, who was reaching out to the Jews, to Paul. Peter had that death, near-death experience in prison the last week, where he was escaped by an angel. And the shift now changes focus. Paul, Peter has to kind of step back out of the limelight. And at the same time, God has enabled Paul to step in. And this is where our stories will now change and start to follow him. So, verse 1 says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is important because we're about to see the first missionary journey. And so to share that text, you might just think it's this list of names. But Luke is giving us some background in this church of Antioch. Many of the churches, many of the synagogues were, were heavily Jewish, right? They, they had foundation in, in the people of Jerusalem, in the people uh, of Israel. The foundation is in a Jewish heritage. But this group 
It's very diverse. This group is made up of two people from Africa. This group is made up of, of Barnabas from a small island of Cyprus. This group is made up of a government worker. Uh, this group is made up of a rabbi and a Roman citizen. This is the leadership of the church in Antioch. So they are a very mixed church. They're a church that's already beginning to think outside of themselves. To see that the gospel is not just for, for one person or one type of person. But the gospel is for everyone. And in light of that, God works through that church to send out the missionaries to make sure that the gospel is for everyone. In Acts 1, verse 8, to go back, Jesus says, I want to remind you of this verse. Because this is another verse. This is the verse, as we said, this is the theme verse for the book of Acts. And we're about to see the change again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus is saying this. And he says, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is that part. 13 on for the rest of the book of Acts is reaching the ends of the earth. And you have this church in Antioch that is made up of people from the ends of the earth. And they see that. And they see that desire to send out a missionary and to send them out to change the world. So verse 2 says, while they were worshiping, other translations say, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barabbas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I like the translations that say they were ministering to the Lord. Because oftentimes, uh, if you come on Sunday morning, you feel like maybe you, if you volunteer, maybe I, what I'm doing is not that big of a deal. But it is. It's not just watching children in the toddler room. It's ministering to the Lord. Greeting someone at the front door and being a friendly hand isn't just saying hi. It's ministering to the Lord. Worshiping on Sunday morning, singing with your heart, singing with your mind, singing with your voice isn't just singing and worship. It's ministering to the Lord. And so in the midst of them ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and says to send out Paul and Barnabas. As they're praying, the Spirit comes to them. It's this age-old calling, right? That we've seen it from, the, from Abraham. God calls Abraham and he says, go to the land, I'll show you. He doesn't tell him where that is. He doesn't tell him when that's going to be. He doesn't tell him how he's going to have kids. He doesn't tell him how he's going to have all these offsprings. Just tells him to go. All the details come later. So it's the same thing with Paul and Barnabas. He just tells them to go. They don't know the details of where they're going. They don't know how they're going to do it. This is a brand new thing, remember? Like this is mind-blowing. To us, it seems normal. This, to us, to see Ethan go to Tanzania is amazing and is bold, but, but it's something that we see that makes sense. Hey, missionary work, this makes sense. To them, this is new. And so they're inspired to go. They don't know where, but in the midst of praying, they hear God. And so many times I hear people talk. So many times I hear people wonder, how, are you gonna how do I hear God? We see it throughout the book of Acts. They hear God when they're in the midst of prayer. So I think it starts there. And so they have this calling from God. And it says, that, so verse 3, So that after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's a way for the church in Antioch to say, we're with you. To put their hands on them is to give their blessing, is to say, we're with you, we're going on this journey with you. And what an awesome thing. 2,000 years ago, the church in Antioch did this for Paul and Barnabas, and you guys just did this for Ethan. It's pretty neat, right? 
Like, if you think about, like, what you guys just did, you just stood up, and it might not seem like much, and, and maybe you weren't the one praying, and maybe you were six or seven people far away, but you were laying hands on a young man that's going to go change a, a village for God. There's over a thousand people through this organization that accepted Jesus last year. Ethan's going to be part of that. Over tens of thousands of people that received medical care last year through this organization. Ethan's going to be part of that. And you guys just said, we're with you. Isn't that awesome? Right? So you guys are part of this trip. You guys are part of praying for him and encouraging him. And when he leaves on May 31st, we're going to post that same video on social media. And when you see that, pray for him. Be with him on this trip. As the church in Antioch was with Paul and Barnabas. So the passage continues, verse 4. The two of them, set on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed there from Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So this is John Mark, and we're going to see more about him later. But John's with them, and they go from synagogue to synagogue. And, and Paul's background as a rabbi ended up opening a lot of doors. Paul's giftedness and his training under the great Rabbi Gamil opens up doors that all he has to go into a new town, into a new synagogue to say, hey, here's my credentials. And they would have opened up the doors for him. Here's my credentials. And they would have said, sir, Rabbi, come teach us. Tell us a piece of wisdom. And that opened up the door. We, we saw earlier on Easter, we were looking at, at Paul's conversion in, in nine, chapter 9, verse 15 says, This man, God is saying, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. He's a chosen instrument specifically to reach the Gentiles because of his background and wisdom as a rabbi. It would open all these doors that he could go in and then share about Christ. Because of his connection as a Roman citizen, he'd be able to connect with the Gentiles. And I see this and we begin to see Paul's gifting opens up doors. His background gives opportunities. And as with anything, I think as we go through the scriptures, we need to see what would that look like if God was speaking to us? You have a background. You have skills. You have pains. You have experiences. You have sorrow. You have joys. You have maybe military background, business background, background of the season of life that you're in. Whatever that might be, you have a certain way that you could reach a certain group. Paul's gifting as a rabbi allowed him to quickly step into a synagogue and preach about Jesus. Your gifting, and whatever that might be, how does that open up doors that you could set an example for others for Christ? And so we continue on, verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he had wanted to hear the words of God. The proconsul was like the governor of, Cy of, of Cyprus, and so he's the governor of this whole island, and so he's a very high up. He's the, he is very high up in government authority, and he hears of these, these people that are coming through town, that are coming through the island, that are speaking in synagogues and preaching this new message. And he wants to look into it. Maybe he's curious, but also he wants to protect his people, right? He wants to protect them, and he's a very powerful man, so he brings them in to come talk to him. And as many powerful men at that time, he has many servants. And one of his servants, his right-hand man, is a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. The sorcerer 
we see in verse 13, it says, But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that was what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. It says that he was a sorcerer, but we all know exactly what that means. It was like a magician. It doesn't mean that he had you know, card tricks and that he could pull a rabbit out of a hat, but it meant that he would be able to, to supposedly tell the future, that he would delve in the occult, that he would be this wise person that oftentimes they were uh, students of science and astronomy, and they would morph that into astrology. And so they would be these sorcerers, these um, magi, as we saw in, in the book of Matthew, the magi that come to visit Jesus. It's the same word there, that they would come, and they were very wise, but they would often use this wisdom and mix it with the occult for power. And so this was a Jewish sorcerer, This is a Jew that had the message of God's people, the message of the redeeming power of Yahweh. But he took that and he mixed it. And he morphed it with the occult and he was a false teacher. And so this is the first time in the book of Acts we're going to see that we're dealing with a false teacher. We're dealing with someone that's going to morph the the word of God. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are many books dedicated to, to this to this idea that there's false teachers coming and trying to change the message of Jesus Christ. And here's our first glimpse into this, is Bar-Jesus trying to change this message. Verse 9 says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elmas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? We read this like it's no big deal, but this is a turning point in the entire history of Christianity. This is a turning point where Paul steps up, where Paul says, then Saul, who also was called Paul, that Paul is his Gentile name, Saul is his Hebrew name, and he begins to change and go by Paul because he begins to bring the message to the world, to the ends of the earth. It wasn't that he changed his name like we've seen that, that when Simon became Peter, that Jesus changed his name to Peter because it meant rock. This is simply that many times they had two different names. You had a Hebrew name and a Gentile name. Like in, in Taiwan, uh, my English name is Matthew. My Chinese name is Kushuai'an. On the softball field, my, my normal name is Matthew. On the softball field, my name's the enforcer, all right? So it's just like this. And so um, it's, it's that same basic idea, right? And so now he's in a new realm, and so he goes by Paul. On the softball field, I go by the enforcer because that's what people are scared, intimidated. This is moving to them. And this is the same thing, that when they get to Paul, right, that there's a connection with this Gentile world, and we're going to now see him as Paul. And so through the rest of Acts, through the books, of the, the books that he's written, Paul is going to be speaking because we're now in this Gentile world. This is a turning point where everything changes in the history of Christianity because next to Jesus, m- most would agree Paul is the single greatest impact on Christianity in the world. And so we see this in that verse. And he calls out Bar-Jesus, which Bar means son, And so it's kind of a play on words that he says, you call yourself son of Jesus, but look, you're the son of the devil. And he calls him out in front of the council, the pro-council. Verse 11 says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. Paul is telling him this. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by hand. Sound familiar? (laughs) Remember Paul's conversion? He was blinded 
for three days. And during those three days, he prayed. During those three days, he met God. During those three days, he interacted with God and realized that Jesus was the Savior. And I love that Paul isn't just trying to punish him. He says you're going to be blind for some time. There's hope in Paul's, eye, in Paul's heart that he's going to accept Jesus. That he's going to come to know a relationship with the Lord. But right now, you have been perverting the truth. You've been this false teacher. You are mixing everything for the council and the influence that the council has on this entire island. And so because of that, you are going to be blinded. But Jesus was a false teacher. And we're about to see a lot of this throughout the book of Acts and throughout the entire New Testament. And it's something that we think about, but, but what does that look like in today's age? You know, as a false teacher, there's not a sorcerer that's, that's mixing the occult really obvious for us to see. But there's false teachers that hide themselves under the mask of Christianity that are leading people astray. And so some of the things that we can look for when we see false teachers, you know, even Jesus warns that false Christs and false prophets will come to attempt to deceive God's elect. Shares that in the book of Matthew. And so how do we recognize these false prophets? Jesus says in Matthew 12, a tree is recognized by its fruit. What does the teaching say about Jesus? The fruit of what these teachers are saying, what does the teaching say about Jesus? Matthew 16, 15 through 16 says, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And for this answer, Peter is called blessed. He pointed people to Jesus as the Christ. So many of these false teachers will morph what Jesus is and will change this message of the Christ. Or they'll change the most important part, the redemption work of Jesus. That they look at these other aspects of Jesus, which are wonderful things, that are characteristics or, or stories and all this, but miss the entire point is the redemptive value. That you and I are saved, our, our sins are washed away because what he did on the cross. And they completely miss that. 1 John 2, 22 says, Who is a liar is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Does this teacher, a question to you, does this teacher preach the gospel? The good news. That there's so many avenues to, uh, to hear Christian teaching, right? Whether it's blogs or podcasts or books or authors or all these different avenues that seem well and seem good. What is the message they're teaching? Is it teaching the gospel? Because there's a lot of messages out there that are saying God loves you and saying God wants you to be wealthy. But are they saying God died for you? Your sins are forgiven. Is that the central point of these movements, of these t conversations? This is what Jesus talks about, that there are false teachers trying to deceive the elect, deceive the Christians, deceive you and me, to pull us apart. Paul even warns in Galatians 1.7, Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and now are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. In Galatians 1.9 it continues, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be internally condemned. This is my prayer every week. There, there's a tiny little hallway that's pretty cluttered, and, and that's where we usually find the mice, and so it, it's scary back there. And, and so every week during worship, I go back there and I pray. 
And uh, there's a verse that I pray, and Sarah made a little uh, a sign for me, and, and it's like a silver sign. I don't know if you guys can really see it. But if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. 1 Peter 4.11. This is my prayer every single week. That when I come out here, it's not any message that I would have, that I wouldn't morph what Jesus is trying to say, what God is trying to say in the book of Acts chapter 13, but that it would be the very words of God. And so I, get to, I pray back there, and sometimes I get down on my knees, and then I realize I look over, and there's mouse poop, so I stand up, and because and, there's little guys come get me, and it's dark. And so I'm praying this very prayer, and I have this up there. And there's one little light from, this, from a sound thing back there, and that light shines on this poster. Because I want to be reminded of that every week, that this would be the very words of God. And so is that what the false teachers are presenting? Does the, false teacher does the false teacher exhibit character qualities that glorify God? Uh, Jude 11 talks about false teachers. And, and this verse is kind of weird. You've got to understand the background. But it says, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit in Balaam's errors. They have destroyed Korah's rebellion. The way of Cain was pride. The, the way of Balaam was greed. The way of Korah was a rebellion. Are these false teachers looking at pride and greed and rebellion? Are they trying to mix everything up? Are they teaching God's word? Uh, when our creative team met a couple weeks ago, right away when we were talking about false prophets, uh, Bill Highfield said, Do you know how the Secret Service determines counterfeit money? And it was really interesting to, to hear him say it, and then I watched some YouTube videos about it. You would think that to determine a counterfeit money, you would learn the signs of counterfeit money and, and what, what you would see. Oh, that's obviously counterfeit, but, but it's the opposite. The Secret Service, who's in charge of determining all counterfeit money, and it goes through them in the government branch, they do that by training their agents to detect the real thing. That they give them so many points on what a real dollar bill looks like, what a real hundred dollar bill looks like, the feel of it, the kind of fabric that there's red and blue, red and blue threads that are mixed into the fabric of a dollar bill. That there's the hologram line, but that the ink is a special ink that shines differently under different lights. That there are little points that you wouldn't know. There's hidden numbers that we wouldn't know. There are things that they can find. And so in order to find counterfeit money, they look at the real thing. And when they're so familiar with a real $100 bill, then they can find, be presented with a counterfeit and, and they recognize it just like that because it doesn't look like the real thing. And so we go back to this. The real thing is Scripture. How can we compare? How can we notice false prophets, whether it's Bar-Jesus at this time or false prophets today, whether it's, it's Elemis or maybe it's this blog or this book or this podcast, whatever it might be. How do we determine the false teachers? It's because we can go back to the scripture that we need to be so familiar with scripture that we quickly detect the counterfeits. I, I feel like that's where God is leading us because that's his word. That's what we have today, is his word. And so many times we say, man, if God would just do miracles like he did back then. If, if I had seen Elemis get blinded, I would have accepted Jesus Christ right then. If I had seen the miracles that Paul is doing, that Peter's doing, that Jesus did, everyone would be able to accept Jesus because they'd see these miracles. But the miracles all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, are only there 
to add an exclamation point to the teaching. To confirm that this teaching is of God. And so to confirm that this teaching that Paul and Barnabas are bringing to the pro-council, that they are bringing to the island, they have this miracle of making him go blind. The miracle isn't what brought people to accept Christ. It was the teaching. And we see that in verse 12. Verse 12 says, of 13, When the proconsul saw what, what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. His number one sidekick was just blinded, and that's not what brought him to the Lord. It was the teaching. It was the scripture. And so we often say, man, if we only could see God, if we could only have some concrete way to see our faith, all of that was just used to confirm the teaching that we have in our scripture. That this is God's word. This is God's word, and that's where we need to turn to. As the pro-council, think about this story. He is the head government official in the whole island. Think about the impact this would make. Maybe his wife would accept Christ and his kids. Maybe all the people in his home that work for him. Maybe all the people in his co-workers that work for him. And maybe the people that are in the island that are looking up to him and are understanding what he says is true. And they are following that because he accepted Christ because of the teaching. And imagine the impact that you can have. And many of you have accepted Christ already. But imagine if we are so fluid in the scripture that we can detect counterfeit right away. Imagine if we were so impacted by the teaching that the influence you guys have would bring others to Christ. And that scripture has an amazing message that we are loved. Amazing message that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We're going to go here into a time of communion and to to think about that message that he died for our sins and rose again. And and in doing so, I I want to bring something pretty cool to light, something neat. As you look at the scripture and you look at what the scripture says, there's a verse in 1 John 1, 12 through 13. It says, Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so, we're adopted into his family. We're adopted into God's family. And this week, there's something really cool. I I, want to just take a side note, because we are a family here. I really believe that. And as a leadership, we've decided not to call people here members, but family, right? And we are a family, and part of our family is doing something amazing. Nick and Samantha, would you guys stand up? This is Nick and Samantha Wolf. And uh, if you guys don't know them, um, Nick and Samantha, they have uh, now coming four kids. Kiefer, Keegan, Kiva, uh, who's a newborn, and Karis. And something awesome is this Friday, they, have, uh, they are adopting Karis. Even while Samantha was pregnant with Kiva, Karis came into their life and has an opportunity to bring this little girl into her home. And, and you can imagine, <laughs> like, to bring a newborn when you're already pregnant, how crazy that's got to be. And they still did it. And so this Friday, they are adopting into the Wolf family, Karis. 
And so they would like to invite all of you and, and to, to the adoption. It's going to be Friday morning, 8.30 at the Kingsport Courthouse. If you have any questions about it, you can reach out to them, reach out to me. Um, I would love to get you the details. My family's going. We're going to be there and cheering you on. And so I, I would love to see this family cheer them on because they are adopting. They're copying what God has done by adopting us into his family. So I don't know if the baby's asleep. Give him a quiet clap. There we go. All right. And so it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing, this idea of adoption. And so as we go into this time of communion, I just want you to reflect on what they're doing with Karis. That Karis is forever going to be part of the wolf pack, right? They're forever going to be part of this family. Her, her future is completely changed because of what God did on the cross. We're adopted into his family. Our eternity is completely changed. So let this time of communion be a time to reflect on the true message of God, to reflect on what the scripture says, that he died and rose again, and that because of this, our sins are washed away. So pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And God, we pray that this is a day that brings you glory. God, we pray right now for Nick and Samantha. And, and for this amazing thing of adoption that they're doing this coming week, God, we pray and thank you for adopting us into your family. God, I pray for those that are faced on the daily situation with false teachers, with false prophets, that we would be able to notice them, that we would be able to see who they are, to see the mixed message that they give. God, I pray that this morning, we are inspired to turn to the real thing, that we won't get caught up in counterfeit, but that we are reading your scripture, that we are reading your word, hearing your message. And God, we thank you for that message of your death on the cross for our salvation. Lift us up in your name.